and welcome to the Legal Marketing Studio, a biweekly podcast devoted to examining successful marketing strategies driving new business development at law firms from the largest international firm to the solo attorney. In every episode, you'll find actionable takeaways that you can implement immediately. The podcast is a production of Picture More Business, a corporate photography studio with a core focus on the legal industry. I'm Michael Meyer, the host of the Legal Marketing Studio. In this episode, I am joined by Michael Schein, CEO of Microfame Media. Michael's agency turns consultants into celebrities in their fields when they don't have the time to do it themselves. He is an Inc. columnist and writes also for Fortune and HuffPost and similar publications. Fun fact, he got his start at Spin the Bottle, Inc., the production company behind VH1's hit show, Pop-Up Video. Michael, welcome to the Legal Marketing Studio. All right. Thanks so much, Mike. I'm really looking forward to this. So I want to start out with sort of the backstory to Microfame Media. When we first met several years ago, you were just starting to do this content casting thing. And at that point, it was very much focused on drawing out content for larger content marketing plans. And it's become something very different. Could you talk a bit about that history? Again, you know, first of all, thank you for having me. It's it's funny, uh, when you read my bio, you talked about, you know, that fun fact that I'd worked at Spin the Bottle Productions that did pop-up video. And when I first got out of that very low-level job, it was something that really impressed people. And many years later, when I tell people that I um, was at the company that did pop-up video, they usually say, what's pop-up video? So uh, <laughs> it's nice to be, uh, you know, to get my kudos there. Well, content casting is a thing I made up, partially out of necessity. I had left a corporate job. I was always a writer at heart. I mean, I, I never wanted to own a business. I, you know, when I, when I, I think that's something you and I have in common. We both became business people, and we were both, quote-unquote, artists first, right? And, you know, I found myself in a corporate job learning about business, but I was getting up every morning and, and writing fiction and things like that. And um, I ran across an article in Writer's Digest, which I bought for fiction writing tips. And it was about how you could make a lot of money writing white papers, which was a big fad at the time. And I did that for my job. So I said, wow, that's so cool. If I do a white paper for $3,000 to $5,000 a week, I could, you know, make even more than I'm making at my job right now. So, you know, I left my job and went into business thinking I was going to be a white paper writer. And it didn't quite work out that way because I forgot that you had to uh, market and sell yourself. And at the time, at least when it came to sales, I was really quite bad. I had never had to do that. So I tried cold calling. I hustled, as they say, and I did terribly. And I almost lost all I, you know, I had, I had about a year's worth of money saved up. I had had some bonuses and I didn't spend them because I thought I would leave. And I burned through it all. And I had a family and, and a baby at home. And, um, out of necessity, I had to figure out something else. So I figured out this kind of Frankenstein monster approach to what they call content marketing. And it turned out I was really good at that. And it built my copywriting practice. So what I realized was I had one client that was a technology company. They did something called energy load forecasting. And they hired me as a consultant, which I had never done before. And I saw what they were doing with their marketing. And it was not working in the modern world. Trade shows weren't working for them and things like that. They knew they needed content, you know, blog posts at the time and this and that to drive internet traffic, but they kept saying they didn't have time. And what I realized was I always used formulas. I'm a big believer that a formula isn't a bad thing. So I found about 20 people in their organization built really robust frameworks and blueprints and Basically, they all started writing a blog post a month very easily, and that added up to a big splash. So that's how it started, that thing that you're calling content casting. It was a way for companies to produce 
content quickly. There's still an element of that to what I do. But what we found out was that the people who needed what we do most were consultants, anyone selling ideas. And I use consultants very loosely. I mean, a consultant can be a consultant, I mean, a, a major consultant, or it can be a business coach. It can be someone, a, a professional you know, speaker. But anyone selling their ideas instead of products, it wasn't so much that they needed content. That's the, the what, that's the thing. What they needed was to turn themselves into what I call a celebrity in their niche. If you think about it, there are a million financial advisors. And they go around, they go to networking events, they hustle, they make contributions to the, the alumni association, whatever. And then there's Susie Orman. And Susie Orman is not necessarily better in terms of her ideas, but she's contrarian, she has books, she has a mastery of media, she draws a line in the sand. And as a result, business comes to her. She never has to worry about business. Now, she's a celebrity, not a micro-celebrity. But what we started to realize was I knew how to do that same thing on a different scale in much smaller niches because I had done it for myself. So we started doing that, and that was sort of the thing that, that made all the difference. And one thing, if you could just expand quickly on sort of that division, because you're not creating celebrities like Susie Orman. No. You're not, you're not, no. you're not trying to create someone who's going to sell themselves. You want their micro-fame to sell their service or their product, whatever they're selling. Correct. That's a great question. I have a podcast with a friend of mine named Michael Roderick, and it's called Access to Anyone. And we had this awesome guest named Mariah Kaz. And she basically was living in this like punk rock squatter house, and she needed a way to make money. And she basically figured out that if she picked a very narrow niche and started selling information products in that niche, she could do well. But she picked vintage trailer restoration. Because there's this like sub community that does that. And she became the expert on vintage trailer restoration, webinars, articles, this and that. So that when it came time for her to finally sell her how to do vintage trailer restoration information product in her case, she was obviously the one to go to. Now, could have she done that for, you know, financial planning that quickly? No, because it's a massive field. So and that might be your consulting services. That might be, and I'm sure we'll get into this, law services, although that has its own special set of challenges, I think. But yeah, it's, it's not, I'm going to sell millions of dollars worth of my books. That's nice. It's about, you have a business that sells ideas, become the person that people think of first, and you won't have to go out grinding the pavement to get that business. I just want to note, you know, even though our audience is primarily in the legal field. I'm curious just how this works generally, yeah. because it will work for attorneys and they'll just have to figure out those special restrictions that they have to deal with the ethical rules. And, and human behavior is the same. It doesn't matter right. what field. It works for vintage trailers. It works for lawyers. I mean, it's, it's, it's the same triggers. Well, let's get to strategy, though. That's where you were heading. You know, where do you start in terms of deciding how to do this? Like, what are the questions you need to ask yourself? What is the sort of market research you need to do? And then how do you put all that together? Yeah, it's it's a really good question. And we spend a lot of time thinking about this. I would say it has two parts to boil it down. On one hand, it's you have to, and this is marketing 101, this is nothing too profound, you have to know what your market wants. So you might start with people you know, you might go on 
whatever massive Facebook pages or forums those people hang out on and the better, you know, start with a smaller niche and then expand outward and find out what are they struggling with? So what's the big accomplishment to them? What does victory look like to these people? Then what are the roadblocks challenging them, you know, from getting there as quickly or or as fully as they'd like? And then what do they consider gains? You know, what are kind of the metrics or signposts that tell them that they're there? Then after you look at that, what you want to do is not just say what everyone else is saying. You want to draw a line in the sand. So, I mean, I'll give you an example from, from me. Consultants, and the reason we picked them, other than the fact that I like working with people um, with ideas, but why they're our major market, is that they already know that they live and die by how much of an expert they're perceived as. You know, So if there's Simon Sinek, right? You could consider him a consultant, the start with why guy. I don't know the numbers, but the amount of consulting business he got before and after he did that TED talk where he said, start with why, I'm sure there's a gulf between those numbers. So they all want to be that. They all know that in some way they want to be the expert in their field. There are a lot of ways to solve that. There's, hey, become an expert in your field. There's do content marketing. There's this and that. And that's great. But you're you don't have a contrarian point of view. You're saying what everyone else says. What I did instead, because I did this for myself and I'm interested, is I say, if you, and this is going to scare the lawyers out there, but that's okay. If you really want to learn how to stand out and promote yourself and market yourself, look at the hype artists. Because I have this concept that I call hype that is basically that set of psychological and sociological triggers that make people take action and that make people stand out. So I actually have a book that I'm, I'm writing and that an agent is representing called Hype, Success Secrets from the World's Greatest Promoters, Propagandists, and Con Artists. I have a column in Inc. where I talk about this. I answer questions through that lens. And it makes certain people angry. Oh, you're telling me to be a con artist? And I say, no, I'm not. Wait, hold on, you know. But it starts a conversation, and I stand out from the crowd. So it's matching your very distinct point of view and your contrarian point of view to what people are actually concerned about in your niche. You want to become this micro-celebrity, but you have business goals that you want to achieve by doing. This is, in a way, this is a way of, of getting where you want to be. How do you tie this process, or how do you tie becoming a micro-celebrity to business goals or sales goals in terms of actually selling those services that you're there to promote? That's a great question. I mean, you can talk about this on a lot of levels. On one hand, there's sort of the low-tech version of doing that. So the more narrow your niche is, the fact of the matter is we all live in a small world. In every industry or sub-industry, everyone knows everyone. There's usually between 30 and 45 influential people who who pull all the strings. So basically, and we can get into specific tactics, but the short story is that you make sure that everyone who matters knows your message and then spreads the word for you. So that means that for some people who are really talented at this and who prefer to keep it old school, they just start getting inbound calls because they get all the inbound speaking engagements, which lead to leads. They do articles that lead to inbound calls. They have people, the 45 people who are the players in their industry are spreading the word on their behalf. If you want to get more sophisticated about it, though, you set up sales funnels. You know, I mean, there are ways to use digital media. 
again, to give a few examples, one thing you can do, there's usually one or two online places. They, like, for example, for professional speakers and business coaches, the National Speakers Association and their Facebook page is where everyone hangs out. So you interact with those people for a while, and then you say, "Hey, you know, I'm, I'm, uh, you know, I'm happy to do a free webinar. Just once you're known, you know, come to the free webinar." And then you can do things like install pixels. Who anyone who sees your webinar, you can track their behavior. You know what I mean? And feed Facebook ads to them. You can start building a mailing list by offering free information, and then send a series of emails to them that can finally convert into business. So there's the strategy and the tactic. Tactics. The strategy is that people are hanging on your every word so that business just inevitably comes to you and opportunities come to you. And then there's the tactical piece where you can literally walk them through a sales funnel to have them take an action. Does business size matter all in this? Meaning if you have a, a law firm with 20 or 30 attorneys, is it going to be the firm itself that's going to implement a strategy like this? Or is it really going to be an attorney or perhaps a small practice group that's going to you know, want to engage in this way to become, you know, to build this sort of celebrity? That's another really good question. I think it works best when there's a person attached to it. It can work for the larger company, but I think that that larger company has to be willing to or have it as part of their business model to enable individuals within the company to become figures in their own right. Not every company wants that because, that person leaves or that person then might have power over them, you know. So, no, I mean, it works best for consultants. It probably works best for individual attorneys. And it works well, I think, for really forward-thinking firms that are okay with having alumni who eventually go out and do their own thing as long as it brings value to the company. How do you prevent it from becoming no longer about those business objectives that you have? I mean, I think it's possible to get lost. For instance, I do the podcast right? I can get lost in doing the podcast and forget that I'm doing it because I need to promote my photography business, right? So if I get lost in doing this and forget that it's really a tool of this other thing, that's all. How do, how do you avoid getting lost in the tool and, and lose sight of the reason you're doing it, using it? Well, so we're really getting into theory. Let me talk about it for myself, you know? So I have a show, a podcast with Michael Roger called Access to Anyone. And it's about, you know, one of my principles of quote unquote hype is that every master practitioner of hype, while they might rage against the machine in public, beneath the scenes, they're always in a clique of influencers. And Michael Roderick and I, in our different ways, are both really good at building relationships with influential people. And he's kind of Superman and I'm, I'm bizarro. Now, I could just have a podcast that people thought was good and it turns into nothing. But a couple things have come from it. Number one, it gives me access to people who I would never have access to otherwise. So for example, I met the CEO of Investopedia at a conference and we had a very brief conversation and I probably never would have talked to this guy again, who is a super nice guy and a super smart guy. But I invited him on the podcast and told him who my other guests were. And he wanted to be on that and he wanted access to that. As a result of that, we I impressed him with our conversation We've met up, and now that's someone in my network. Will that immediately turn into business? I don't know, but what I do know is people spend a whole lot of time networking, and the idea behind networking is that if I go to enough networking events and if I go to the BNI meeting and I do enough intros, it's going to come back to me. Well, why network 
with so other people at your level when you can be networking with top tier people. If you really believe that dynamic, if the dynamic is that if you're traveling in a circle and doing favors and introductions and all of that and the karma or whatever will come back to you, if you're networking with other solopreneurs, if you're networking with other people who, you know, shopkeepers and things like that, who are all wonderful, you know what I mean? You're going to have budget restraints. Those people, the people they refer to you aren't going to have that much money. If, if you're networking with, I'll talk to some people who have been on, on our show, you know, or shows of our clients, Gary Vaynerchuk, Rick Edelman, you know, the head of Investopedia, David Siegel, you're elevated. You're in another circle. I mean, another thing is that you can repurpose that content. So if I need to start a sales funnel, I can use, this is a tactical thing, but a Facebook ad campaign, I can look at all the people who follow the kind of people that are my target audience. I can transcribe pieces of my podcast content and serve that up to the appropriate audience using pixels and then walk, get them to sign up to my email list and then do a series of emails to convert them into sales. I can use it as social proof. We're in the middle of a, a, a sales situation with a very big client right now, and that person invited me to Nashville. And before they did, they said, I've been listening to your podcast access to anyone and I'm really impressed by it. And I, I think you could do something like that for us. Now, that applies to me, but it should, it, or some of the ideas you talked about, I would like you to do some of that for us. So that was social proof. If I was saying, hey, you should do this, you should do that, well, you don't even have a podcast. So it serves a lot of functions, but you're right. The main point is you got to start with the goals first. What you shouldn't be doing is everyone is podcasting or everyone is blogging. So I'm going to do that because that's a me too attitude. By the time, it's like the, it's like real estate investing. By the time your dentist is flipping houses, that's probably not the time to get in the real estate market. So you mentioned your podcast there, and I wanted to get to your podcast, but I also wanted to get to some of the relationship building stuff that you you mentioned. There are two aspects of the relationship building that I want to get into. Uh, and the first one is what you just talked about, which is doing something like like this gives you access to people you wouldn't otherwise have access to. Right. For instance, you you know Vikrajan. We were at an event. From PhoneBlogger, right? PhoneBlogger, yeah. correct. So he and I were at a, an LFMP event, and Peter Shangman was talking. Yeah. And Vic afterwards went up. And, you know, Peter's a hugely influential marketer. Hugely influential in several fields, actually. But he is, yeah. Really interesting guy. But Vic reached out afterwards and just said, hey, I have this thing. Can I interview you? And Peter was like, yeah, sure. Right? And I think people are willing to give you their time. That's a great example because Peter Shankman, I met through these methods as well. And I think he puts himself out there that way. But no, if you just come up, hey, can I pick your brain? That doesn't really do much for you, you know? I would say that when you're engaging in these opportunities, you shouldn't be thinking of the guest or of the person you're connecting with as your end buyer because that puts you in a very swarmy kind of situation. Have you ever been to a networking situation where someone starts pitching you? That's my it's usually point, exactly. a financial advisor for yeah. some reason. Well, that's my point yeah. exactly. Nobody wants to be pitched to. Right. But if you come at it sideways, if you're not pitching at all, but just giving them an outlet. And they might hook you up with someone or they might hook you up with an opportunity. I mean, it might right. not even be a strategic partnership or, or not, but it, this buzz forms around you where you right. know the right people. Correct. And people who you would have almost no reason to speak to yeah. will, will give you their time. They'll give you an hour or two hours. And I want to say there, there are these two human impulses that make that possible. 
One is ex- the need for exposure. Now, as successful as Peter Shankman is, he created Harrow, Help a Reporter Out. Mm-hmm. He's engaged in a new venture right now, which is this idea that people with ADD actually are well-equipped to be entrepreneurs because I think he has ADD and a lot of entrepreneurs. And he's really pushing hard to create this business and media platform around this. So he's in a mode right now where he wants exposure. So if he does 150 podcasts, that's going to help him. So you got to be sensitive to that, not just randomly walking up to someone. Will you be on my podcast? Because if I'm not in that mode, I it's a waste of my time. You know what I mean? The other thing, though, is people really, no matter how big they are, want to be appreciated. You say, I'm really a fan of your work for this and this and this specific reason. No one thinks of themselves, unless they're a total egomaniac, as a superstar, right? So if you can show that appreciation in a very genuine way and not fake it, that goes a long way as well. So the other aspect of relationship building is building the audience and building a relationship with the audience, because ultimately that's where more opportunities, that's where business opportunities come from. Yeah. So how do you work with your clients to build that audience, to build those relationships? I think it's really important to distinguish between your audience and your market. Really early in my career as a copywriter, I tried blogging. One of the first articles I wrote was called, um, when I didn't know what I was doing, was called The Ramones Guide to Copywriting. And when I opened my... um, whatever, my metrics the next day, I saw a spike in traffic and I was really excited. So then I thought about it and I went back into the details and and it turned out they were searching for Ramones. Now, that's great if I wanted Ramones fans, but I was trying to sell corporate copywriting services. So that was less than useless to me. So a lot of people are just focused on pure metrics. I got this many viewers and this many. Well, what kind of listeners and viewers? So first of all, you've got to target it. So find out where they hang out. One thing you can do is you can piggyback on the followings of your guests. So if you have a guest with a really substantial targeted audience or market, you can hopefully, if you do a great interview, and we're assuming it's a podcast, but whatever that content is, you can say to them, hey, will you share this thing? Now, where people go wrong with that is they just send an email. Hey, feel free to link this. Go share it. Again, you got to see the world through their eyes. What benefit is it to them to share this content? Did you make them look good? Is it about a book they're promoting? Did you make it easy for them? Remove the friction. You know, hey, um, here's the wording. Here's the link. I'm putting a thing about your book on my site, and I actually prepared a graphic for you promoting your book, you know, whatever. That's one thing. The second thing is I still think internet marketing is really good. And and, and we used to sort of ignore that part. I mean, we, we were like, we're not a social media firm. But lately, there, there are some digital, um, just straight out transactional digital marketing things that you can use to drive up the right audience. So let's take Facebook advertising. I'm on a kick with that lately. Facebook advertising, when used properly, is a fantastic tool because you can, as I referred to earlier, you can say, you know, I, I have a hypothesis that people who like James Altucher like me. So I'm going to serve up $5 a day, nothing much ads to get them to click on my podcast with two different titles to James Altucher to Ryan Holiday to someone else. And I'm going to test which follow, which comparable thought leader is their audience is the most responsive. 
and which headline gets the most clicks. And you can just hone your marketing approach like crazy and then start building an email list. You know, there's just a lot of internet tools that if you have good content, there are ways to optimize. Sort of the subtext of what you of your answer was that there's a lot of promotion of the content. How much promotion is there to do of the content, of your efforts, beyond simply putting it up on SoundCloud, right? I put the podcast up on SoundCloud, but then I've got to promote it. Yeah, I mean, like anything else. The internet's great because it allows everyone access, but the internet stinks because it allows everyone access. I mean, you're competing against the universe, you know? So you have to come up with systems, come up with systems to produce content more efficiently. But you need to promote it, you know, whether that means hiring someone or figuring it out, you know, there's no free lunch, I guess. I mean, you got you got to you got to promote everything you do. Right. And it takes time. It takes money. Of course it does. But I think there's ways to be smart. I, I believe in systems. I believe in doing the work up front and then letting it roll. Like, for example, we talked about Facebook advertising. Once you figure out what that magical combination and you need a little bit of technical expertise for this, you know. But once you figure out what that magical combination is of wording, of content, of what people are responding to, of audience, you can put more dollars into it and blow up your result. And you don't have to be hovering over it and tweeting from the toilet. It runs. It just runs, you know. So, yeah, I I think like anything else, do the work up front, do the experimentation up front, hire someone if you have to or figure it out and let it repeat. So I want to shift a little bit here. There's a bit of a a bit of a non sequitur, but one particular form of content that you push, not necessarily push, but that you spell out a little, you know, separately and, and emphasize quite a bit is writing books. Mm-hmm. What is it about books that, that you find particularly valuable? Why do you, you know, promote them in the way that you do? I think books are probably still in our digital age, the single best signifier that you're a real credible expert. And the more gatekeepers there are between you and the book, the more it signifies that. So anyone, with all due respect to both of our podcasts and blogging efforts, anyone can do it. You know, I mean, you just do it. And it's quick. A book takes time. A book takes money. A book, if it's published properly, takes someone saying, I want to publish this book. There's a lot of research on this. The human brain quite literally cannot process all the stimuli coming at it. So what we do is we use shortcuts called heuristics to stand for things we want information about. And a book is a heuristic for expertise because for many years, having a book and creating a book was a ridiculously expensive thing. And then for years, the publishing industry, you needed a printing press, you needed all of this. Today, you can self-publish, and a lot of people do that. And that's better than nothing because we're still wired to see that physical book and think this person's an expert. But if you can have a book that was actually published, if you can have a book that really frames the world in a new way, I mean, people who have successful books, they barely have to market. I mean, they get invitations for the keynote speeches. You know, Now, again, that's a successful published book. I actually want to move to sort of a closing of it. Not necessarily three pieces of advice, but like steps one, two, and three for people who are interested in becoming the sort of micro-celebrity, who are interested in leveraging influence to help sell their service, to help sell their law practice. You know, what are the the first three steps you would suggest to people 
in making that happen. The first three, right? Not like the total steps. There's a lot no, of no. steps. No, yeah. no. First three. First three. The first three, I mean, the first one is to get rid of your assumptions and see what the market wants. You know, I mean, everyone and I used to do this. You sit with your the people you work with and you strategize in a boardroom about we should position ourselves like this. We should position ourselves like that. We should write this kind of blog. We should do this. And that's all nice. But just like the scientific method, those are hypotheses. You got to come up with your hypotheses and then go out and spend some time where your potential clients are hanging out. And be very willing to discard your previous assumptions. I mean, for example, we're putting together for the first time ever some information products right now. So I'm doing this research for that. And I thought that my information product base was going to be business coaches. And by talking to a lot of business coaches, what I found out is that market is very, very oversaturated right now. So what I'm now considering is doing it for professional speakers. Now, I never would have thought about that if I hadn't done that research and had been open about that. So after you do that, what you need to come up with is your contrarian point of view. So based on the stuff that the people are asking for and this and that, don't just come out and say what everyone else is saying. And then after that, I would think about how do you most efficiently create the most appealing content possible and where do you want to put it? So you might say, okay, probably the easiest thing to start with is a podcast. This is one example because I don't have to write all the content myself. I can batch content in one day out of the month, interview 10 people in a row, make it all around this topic, have someone edit it or do it myself. And that's an easy way to do it. And then where do you want to put it? It, 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 Just throwing it on Twitter or Facebook, okay. But what if you could be using it to answer questions that people are asking on the National Speakers Association page or the Professional Law Association page? So I would say that's the three things. I mean, figure out what they really want out there to hear about, figure out what you have new to say, and then figure out how to produce it and serve it to your audience. And then you eventually got to figure out how to turn that into sales. But that It's a little more technical. Michael, that was super. Thank you. Well, thank you. This was a lot of fun. Great. I really appreciate you joining me on this episode of the Legal Marketing Studio Podcast. My pleasure. Thank you to our listeners who've joined us for this episode. If you enjoyed it, please leave a review or give us a like. And remember to subscribe to the podcast. The Legal Marketing Studio can be found on iTunes, SoundCloud, and Google Play. Extended content, including photographs and links, can be found on our website, legalmarketing.studio. Note that there's no .com. It is just legalmarketing.studio. The Legal Marketing Studio is a production of Picture More Business, a full-service corporate photography studio focused on the legal industry based in Brooklyn, New York, and working with clients nationally. If your firm is updating its website, hiring new attorneys, or revamping its brand and marketing materials, give us a call. We'd love to explore collaborative opportunities. More information can be found at picturemorebusiness.com. That's all for this episode. Thanks so much for listening. Thanks for listening.